0: Founderspace, Startup Supercharge. I'm Captain Hawk, CEO of Founderspace, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Forces. So, The Five Forces That Change Everything, in the book, I go into the five core technologies that I think are going to have the biggest impact on our lives. And what might be surprising to some of you is the blockchain isn't in there, (laughs) because I um, actually uh, think the blockchain is very important in cryptocurrency, but I consider it a narrow technology, meaning it's good at a few things, it does a few things very well, but it's not a broad technology. doesn't solve problems on a broad scale. That is my opinion. AI, on the other hand, is a very broad technology. It's literally every business in the world is gonna be impacted by AI. AI is like the internet. Like every business in the world was impacted by the internet. And the, the reason is simple. Every business can take advantage of data. Every business can be smarter. And how do we do that? The human brain is limited. Right, we can only store so much data. We are not good at processing big data, AI is. And so we're gonna see AI in robotics, AI in in communications, AI in art, AI in every aspect of our lives. That is probably the biggest technology. Uh, But there are those we're gonna talk about. So let me dive into that. So this is a technology that has been around a while that is evolving, and I call it mass connectivity. So what is mass connectivity? Mass connectivity is how we connect and communicate as a group, as a human species. Well, if you go back to our ancient ancestors, their form of mass connectivity was getting around a campfire at night and everybody exchanged, telling stories about their day and what they learned. That's how they exchanged information and they were tribes. But there was no global connectivity. Then comes along, our civilization evolves, then comes along the written language. Right? Now we can write, we can communicate better. After that, we get the printing press, Gutenberg, right? Suddenly there's a huge revolution across the globe with the printing press, because now instead of writing by hand, you can mass distribute information. And that changes Europe, it changes the world, it powers, it leads up to the enlightenment and the industrial revolution. And along comes new forms of communication, you know, radio, television, the internet, What's coming next? What is the next big breakthrough in mass connectivity? Well, let's talk about that. So my belief is the next big change, bigger bigger than the internet, uh, is brain-computer interfaces. Because think about it. (laughs) You know, brain-computer interfaces are still in research labs. We all have heard about Neuralink. Uh, There's a bunch of other companies out there doing brain computer research. All these universities, like Brown University, are doing advanced research. Right now, to get good connection to the brain, you have to drill a hole in your head, right? Who wants to drill a hole in their head? <laughs> well, yeah, that, OK. Sign up for Elon Musk. He'll do it. <laughs> He'll drill a hole. But I wouldn't trust him. <laughs> I wouldn't trust that guy um, <laughs> with my brain. Um, so, But for most people, they, they don't want to do that, right? If you're paralyzed like this woman, she's completely paralyzed, she can only move her eyes, getting, drilling a hole in your head to actually be able to control a wheelchair or communicate through a, a mobile phone, she can do that now with, with a brain computer interface. She can literally uh, communicate uh, through a phone or on an iPad. It's amazing, it changed her life. It, just, it can change a lot of people's lives. What's coming next and when this will really take off is when we don't have to drill a hole in our head. When we have a device we can put on our forehead, and it can read our brain waves, and we can communicate. Let me tell you, uh, uh, these devices, you can buy them on Amazon. And you might be surprised. You know, there's a company called Muse, I know the founder and the creator of that technology. Um, that is available on Amazon. But it doesn't work that well. <laughs> it's very, it can do very simple things. Like it can tell you if your brain is relaxed. It can tell you if you're concentrating. It can allow you to turn off and on lights. But really that's about what it does right now. So you can buy it on Amazon and try it out for a couple hundred dollars, but it's not advanced enough to really read your thoughts. Now in the laboratory, they have technology called FMRI. And FMRI, if they put people in an FMRI machine, we can literally, at UC San Francisco, they can literally read your thoughts. They can read your thoughts. They can also extract images from your brain. So not just your thoughts, these images. It's, think about that. It's pretty crazy. If Let's say you witnessed a crime scene. They can literally pull those images out of your head. They can do that now. It's expensive because you need this huge fMRI machine. It's not, but when that technology, we can get that technology down to a device you can put on your head, then we're starting to open the door. And this technology will just have profound implications. I give a whole lectures on this. I won't, I could talk for two hours on this. But you can start to understand the power of your brain being connected to the internet. What does that mean? Like the entire internet is at our disposal, just for thinking. We can upload and download information we potentially, and I study a lot of neuroscience, may be able to understand how our brain works with AI at such a level that we can start to transfer thoughts from person to person. Not only thoughts, but perhaps even recreate uh, the emotions or the experiences, memories that we have had between people. And that is why I say this technology, when fully developed, and we don't know when that will be, uh, will have the potential to be bigger than the internet, right? Because it will literally be, we will be, as a species, we will totally change when our brains are connected. So um, I call this, and scientists call this, the brain net. So you can imagine, right now we have a brain net, right? We we have a brain net. What is a brain net for most of us? This. Every one of us is putting our thoughts, our lives, our video, our you know communication onto the internet and sharing it with the world. Well, the brain net, when we have a brain-computer interface, will be exponentially more powerful, right? Because literally, our brains will be part of a bigger network, and the network will be all the other human brains, billions of human brains, and all the AI that we have developed. These incredibly powerful artificial intelligence, by the time this comes along, that we will be merging with. So our brains will be merging literally with AI. And it will be a whole new type of intelligence that I don't think any of us can really conceptualize at this point. We might try to imagine it. I think it's beyond our imagination. It's like asking somebody who lived 500 years ago to imagine the cell phone, right, and what, it would be, what our lives are like. They couldn't imagine it 500 years ago. It would just be impossible. We can't imagine that. But it will come. So this, it, eventually, we will figure this out. Um, We, there's another aspect to this, and that is uh, we will be entering a new type of reality. And I call this a multimodal reality. And that means that right now we live in the physical world. We're all in this physical space together, right? But we kind of have a multimodal reality because many people are on their phones while they're with you talking, and they're kind of in another world. But in the future, we will literally be laying on augmented reality, AR, on top of our world through our brain-computer interfaces so that the digital and the physical will be blended together. They will be almost indistinguishable for us because it won't matter whether it's digital or physical, it'll just matter what we do with it. So we will be walking through these worlds that are a composition of digital and physical. And uh, the interesting thing is, each of us will have our own world. Like there will be a common world, a common physical world, but there'll be very different digital interfaces on top of this world. And we will be transitioning between these modes, that's why I call it multimodal, these different modes of seeing reality. The digital is real, we know that, right? And the physical is real, they're just different types of reality. We will blend them together and each person will have their own view of reality. What will that be like? What will society be like when what I'm seeing is totally different than every other person in this room? Or maybe we'll synchronize our realities so that we can go, like I might synchronize with you, and then we're in the same reality for a while while we're communicating, and then I'm talking to you, and we we synchronize our realities. We'll have to figure out the whole interface for how humans communicate in this new mass connectivity that we are entering into. Okay. My second, now we're on to a new topic, bioconvergence, right? What is bioconvergence? Bioconvergence is the convergence of uh, our biology, our physical, physical bodies, and technology. And how is that gonna shape the world? So, if you come here, we know gene editing. It's been a huge revolution, gene editing. Now, I uh, think gene editing is amazing because, If you think about gene editing right now, uh, editing uh, our genes is like, our genes are like computer code for life. And we have figured out now, by decoding the, the genome for the human beings and all these plants and animals, the source code for life. So just like we write computer code, we can now use these gene editing tools to write biological code. We now, we are gods now. We have taken evolution into our own hands. We can create new species of plants and animals that literally never existed and would never have existed except for us. So if you start to think about it, it's pretty mind-blowing, right? We can do a lot more than we're doing. I'm gonna give you a few examples of what we're doing right now. So this is the indigo tomato, and it's kind of a dark purple. And why is it dark purple? Because it has twice the antioxidants Uh, of blueberries. You know, blueberries have antioxidants, which are really good for you. Now you can eat a tomato and get twice as many as if you were eating like a giant blueberry, right? (laughs) Like it's huge. This um, is just the beginning. I mean, I traveled around the world. I was in Chile uh, the other year, uh, talking uh, to the head scientists at their largest, they do lots of fruit, right? And I was like, he's using genetic editing for their fruit. Why? Because they ship fruit from Chile, like berries, from Chile to the United States. And they need those berries. They don't want to freeze them. They would like to ship them fresh. So how do they make berries that don't don't, uh, decompose, rot, while they're shipping? So they're working on that. I also asked him, I said, could you create a berry? Uh, Could you create a banana that tastes like strawberries? And he's like, yes, we can do that. We can create bananas that taste like strawberries. We could literally start to create fruits and vegetables with combinations of flavors that you never imagined. And a strawberry banana would be pretty good, or a raspberry banana. You know, we could do, <laughs> they'd be pretty good. We can do that now in the lab. Uh, we, but, but this, doing it with plants is one thing. Um, We're also doing it with animals. So this is a real company, they're called AquaBounty. Uh, they're a genetic editing company, and they actually edited the genes of a salmon so it grows twice as fast. So the salmon goes twice as fast. Think about it. If you're doing salmon farming twice as fast, your farms can produce twice as much. That's significantly more profit. So you can imagine they can do they, This is on the market now in the United States and Canada. You can buy these fish. Um, if they can do it with salmon, can they do it with cattle? Can they do it with chickens, you know? At the University of Florida, they have actually genetically engineered cattle so that they can survive in higher temperatures. Why do they do this? Global warming, climate change, right? You know, if there's a heat wave, you don't want all your cattle to die. So now that we're genetically engineering cattle to survive in higher temperatures, we are literally, this technology might save the human race because you know, we have let climate, our climate go out of control and we're going to need to alter our, all our food, you know, our vegetables, our fruits, our livestock in order to survive in a world with much more erratic temperatures. That's what we're going to have to do. Uh, So uh, you can see this is part of it. And then it gets even weirder. Uh, Oh, this is the heat resistant cow that I told you about, but it gets even weirder. they're chimeras. Who knows what a chimera is? So chimera is a Greek term, and it means the blending of two animals. And at UC Davis, my, this is my hometown where I grew up, UC Davis, California, they have actually developed this animal. And do you know what this is called? This animal never existed before. It is the blend of two animals. It's called a geep. A geep, what is a geep? A goat and sheep, right, a geep. It's a, this is, they, they took, uh, literally, they took the goat's uh, DNA, injected it into the embryo of a sheep and transplanted that embryo into a female sheep and it gave birth to a geep. <laughs> so a different, it's, 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 it's astounding, right? We can create th- these, these hybrid animals uh, right now they exist. And what does that mean for our future? Well, you know, if you want to get, if you want, if you're, any of you are science fiction writers, you can write about, create, we could create hybrid humans, literally with the DNA of other animals, like a human with snake DNA. Wouldn't that be cool with scales on your skin? <laughs> no, these are technically possible, right? They're weird. There's ethical concerns around these. They are doing some of these experiments with monkeys literally changing their DNA. You know, what if you made a monkey with a bigger and bigger brain? What would would happen? Uh, This, you look horrified (laughs) by by this suggestion. Well, Planet of the Apes, the movie Planet of the Apes. We're getting to the point where things that were science fiction movies are actually possible in the laboratory. Uh, Gene therapy. Another amazing thing that's going on right now is gene therapy. You look at gene therapy, uh, they literally um, have gene therapy where if you're born with a congenital blindness, that means genetic blindness, where you grow up and when you become a teenager, you go blind, it's a horrible thing, right? So some children are born with this. Well, they now can give you gene therapy that actually stops this blindness. It prevents it from happening. Uh, they are working on gene therapies for cancer, for all sorts of diseases, for life extension, so we can live longer. But literally, uh, by altering our genes, giving a, altering our genes or injecting genes into us, we can start to change our bodies in dramatic ways. So we could potentially live for much longer than we are biologically programmed to live. Uh, we can, we will eradicate cancer. That is a certainty. Cancer will not exist at a certain point and maybe in our lifetimes, hopefully, um, and many, many other benefits. And then you get to the scary part. Like if I haven't scared you enough, let me scare you a little more. So this guy, this guy, uh, Josiah Zaner, uh, he was a UC Berkeley student, a very smart guy, went to work for NASA, but was really interested in gene editing. So he was gene editing frogs and selling these frog gene editing kits online. Basically, to do this gene editing, it's not expensive. You can buy a gene editing kit for a couple hundred dollars on the internet, a couple hundred dollars. Then all you need to do is figure out how to actually do the gene editing. So it's not hard, um, but it is kind of scary because what he was doing was he was gene editing these frogs and allowing people to do this so that they could build muscle mass twice as fast, like become much really like strong frogs. <laughs> like, wouldn't you love to see a really buff strong frog, you know? Um, uh, so he, he was selling these online and they were working. And then he decided to do a publicity stunt. He got on a live cast and he literally injected himself with, this, the, 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 with the gene editing, uh, with the genes to grow his muscles twice as fast. That is crazy. But there are people out there they are called biohackers that are doing this right now. There's lots of them, he's just one of them. There are lots of them who are actually changing their biology and experimenting on themselves. Um, He later uh, regretted doing that because nobody knows the long-term implications of this technology. Um, He could develop cancers, all sorts of things, or it could even hurt his children, right? These genes are passed down. uh, you don't. I do not recommend doing this. This is a cautionary tale. But it's just to show you that human beings are crazy. Um, some will do anything for publicity. And once this technology is out of the box, right, once it's available, people will start using it. Let's go on to the next one, human expansion. So expansionism. So this is, uh, this is about human beings uh, literally... Uh, uh, going into uh, expanding our domain, and when I talk about expanding our, our 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 physical presence and our understanding of the universe, I talk about two things. One I talk about is space exploration. So we all know about Elon Musk wants to go to Mars, you know, and I think Elon Musk is brilliant, and he is exceptionally brilliant at self-promotion. <laughs> That's where he, he and he's, he's brilliant at saying things that get people's attention. So like he said, self-driving cars would be available by like, for sure by 2022. Well, we know that didn't happen. Um, he says we'll be on, he'll be, humans will be on Mars by 2030. I tell you, I doubt that, <laughs> I really doubt that. We will not probably have a, 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 a sizable human population on Mars for at least 50 years. Before, we may get one or two people who are crazy enough to go there, right? Um, But uh, what we're going to have in reality are robots on Mars, a lot of robots. Because robots, the Martian climate, you know, it's very harsh. It's very hard to live on Mars. I don't think any of us would enjoy it once we got there, Um, but these robots are perfect. So we are going to be sending more and more robots to the moon, to Mars. Uh, and and sending more and more robots as far away as we can into the galaxy. That's how we're going to be expanding. That's how we're going to understand these planets, and eventually humans hopefully will follow. Um, Another cool thing about our expansionism is that we have the potential to actually go out and get asteroids. And some people don't realize this, but these asteroids are incredibly mineral-rich. These asteroids might have you know, trillions of dollars, a single asteroid, trillions of dollars worth of precious metals, rare earth minerals in those asteroids, like platinum and all these rare earth minerals that you can't find on this planet in abundance. If we bring those asteroids back to to our planet, that doesn't just make somebody rich. It totally changes our economy. Totally, because these minerals, and these uh, precious metals that were in scarce supply, suddenly they're abundant. You can start to do things with them that you never did before. So there was a time uh, when uh, people, you know tin, tin foil, right? When people thought tin was more precious than gold. Like, and they would put tin, like tin foil, on, the, on, on buildings and all this stuff because they thought it was so precious. Um, suddenly tin became, Widely available, and then it, they found all these other uses for it, and it, the, the, our economy totally changed. You know, we, we use tin cans, right, for canning food and all all of this stuff. So this is going to happen when these asteroids come back. Um, another area we're expanding is not just out into space, but into the quantum world. We all know about quantum computers. Um, there are all these nanotechnologies being developed right now, and the nanotechnologies are pretty amazing. So, like this is at ASU, Arizona State University. They are developing nanobots that literally can go in and target cancer cells and kill them. And they have all sorts of different ways. Some of them will go in there and deliver drugs right to the cancer cells. So unlike chemotherapy, where you have to poison your entire body, you can literally just target the tumors. Um, Incredibly powerful technologies. Nanotechnologies will be used in all sorts of things, new materials that we're creating. The even my favorite nanotechnology, I will tell you is they are developing now this is real they are developing little robots, nano robots that you can't even see that you could put on your teeth and they'll clean your teeth. wouldn't we love to never brush our teeth again and have perfectly clean teeth? You know it would be awesome, so you know. We, maybe we'll have all these nanobots crawling out of our bodies and inside our bloodstream fighting off viruses, you know, like COVID, you know, there is a future out there where we will have these tiny robots in all aspects of our lives. Uh, number four, we're getting there. There are the five forces, remember, we're on number four. Uh, deep automation. So deep automation, the process of automation has been happening throughout history, you know, the industrial revolution, every, the internet, AI is the w- big change now, right? So AI is the thing that's driving deep automation. We can see it with ChatGPT. GPT. Uh, it's you know, automating all these tasks. I want to write an article. Well, just type in a few words and it'll write the article. I want to create a picture on MidJourney. Type in a few words and, the, <laughs> and the, an amazing image comes up. Uh, so we're gonna see AI taking a much bigger role in the future and I'll talk, we all know about chat GPT and mid-journey. I won't talk about that. Um, what I will talk about are some other things. Um, at Harper Adams University in the UK, uh, they have created an entirely, entire robotic farm from planting the seeds all the way to harvesting the crop, entirely run by robots. So in the future, uh, human beings just won't do this, right? M- most people don't want to work in a field, like it's not, uh, it's not a great job for people to have. It's, it's exhausting and tiresome. Robots are very good at this type of thing. Um, ro- they've even developed, and I interviewed uh, the CEO of the company for my book, they've even developed robots that can pick berries. And why I say this is amazing is because berries, like I even have, you know, if I go out to pick blackberries um, and I try to pick them, I often squish them. It's really hard. They now have robots that can do that precision action on, on, in a mass scale on farms. And like one robot can replace 30 workers. So it becomes very efficient. So w- this is happening. Um, we also, let's talk about generative AI and chat GTP, where it's going in the future. Not what you see right now, but where it's happening in the future. So my prediction, and I am uh, working on several projects in this area, is that most of our media will be created by AI. Most of our media. But it won't be created by just AI. It will be created by a combination of AI and human beings. That, see, if you think about it, people are like, can AI be creative? I often get asked this question, you know, can AI be creative? Um, The answer is absolutely yes. Why can it be creative? Because uh, AI is literally taking all the creativity we have put out there on the internet and, and bringing it back to us in new forms. So think about it. Um, ChatGPT is is so smart and can write these amazing articles, even short stories and poems, why? Because it is drawing upon the billions of people who have uploaded to the internet their poems, their short stories, their blog articles, their media. It's all out there, so all AI is doing with its uh, neural networks and deep learning algorithms is pulling from this and recombining it in new forms. And then we, as a human, are saying thumbs up or thumbs down. We're like, how many of you have used mid-journey? Mid-journey. Every one of you should use that, okay? Um, good that some of you have. Mid-journey, you can type in a few words, like, I want a rabbit on a beach, and I want it holding an umbrella. And literally, it'll create that image for you. Like, and it's a new image. And you could say, I want this rabbit in the style of a certain, my favorite artist. You know whoever my favorite artist is and it will do the rabbit in the style of your favorite artist now that artist never created that rabbit uh, But it looks exactly like it and it was created by you The data from the artist and the data of all these other artists who have contributed online to their images All of that combined in a new form to create a new form of art Uh, What the AI is doing is exactly what humans do like if you're an artist, what do you do? You go to art school, you look at all the different art, you practice you know, creating art, and you start combining art in different ways and eventually you develop your own style, your own, your own artwork. Uh, we are pattern matching machines. That's what our brain does. That's what AI does exceptionally well. So AI is an extension of our own creativity. It's inextricable from human creativity. They are one and the same, so understanding this is really important to understanding AI. It's not, it's not that AI is more creative than us or less, it is, it is part of us, right? It is part of the human consciousness and what we have created on culture on this earth. Um, we are going to see this extend right now. Who has tried Runway.ML? Okay, okay, tried, okay, yeah. Yeah, but you know about it, so you're, you're up on it. <laughs> but this Runway.ML actually allows you to type in text and alter videos with AI, change videos. So their future is, we're not gonna be creating images, through text and our voice and other input that we have, we can create music, we can create virtual worlds, they have new virtual world creating things, Google's working on one of these. It's absolutely amazing, it's going to change how we communicate with each other, how we create content, all of this, we're on the cusp of that change. And then of course, um, much more is coming, but that's a whole separate talk. So I'll go on to the next thing. Uh, Predictive commerce. This is another area where AI is playing a big role. So already, if you order from Alibaba or Amazon or JD, uh, you know, they have a lot of data out there. So they know what you're gonna order, and like Amazon, Alibaba, JD, they will often ship the product in advance to a warehouse near you based on average sales statistics. So if they know, You know, in Hangzhou, people are ordering, you know, 5,000 razor blades every day. They're gonna make sure in the warehouse to have 5,000 razor blades. So when you order one, they can get it to you quickly. This is how Amazon does it and and most of the companies do it. And that's how they do quick shipping. But in the future, we're gonna have AI that's our personal assistant, that's actually helping us, you know, with everything we do, like our job, planning our job, doing, you know, every task that you wanna do, travel, AI, you'll be going to AI for these things. And the AI will start to know you better than you know yourself, really. Because you know, we don't even know ourselves that well. We think we know what we want, but we don't always know. And then the AI will use statistical data on you and other people to predict what you need before you even know it. So the future, the, the dream of Amazon and these companies is to actually ship you a product that you don't even know you want, but you really want. And it arrives on your doorstep, and you're like, oh my goodness, what is this? And you open it up, oh, I wanted that. You know, <laughs> That's exactly what I would've ordered. If you don't want it, you'll just return it. You'll just put it out on the doorstep again, and they'll take it, uh, their robot will come and take it away. But um, more often than not, you will want what they get you. It might be household items that you're short on, more toilet paper, oh yes, I was just about to run out of toilet paper. Or it might be a new gadget that you had been looking at online but you hadn't bought and they just send it to you and you're like, ah, oh, I got it. Um, why will they do this? Because they, think about it, if you're a big e-commerce firm, the most important thing you could do is take the buying decision out of buying. Like when you have to make a decision to buy, you might buy from Amazon, you might buy from somebody else, right? You might buy from another company. But if they ship it to you, you didn't even make, they made the buying decision for you. And, and all you have to do is say, yes, I got it. You know, I want it. That's the future of e-commerce in an AI-driven world. Uh, AI uh, will manage your life. So this is, <laughs> this is you, literally when you go to make a business decision, because you don't have all the data in your head, you're going to, most of us in the future will consult AI. I already consult chat GPT literally several times a day. Uh, I will go there, especially when I'm in the US and I can access it easily. I will go several times a day to ask it questions about my business, about or things that, like I was coming to China, I had to ask it all these questions, you know. <laughs> do, do, you know. What are the regulations, what do I do, I just ask it. Um, we will be asking AI for, for all sorts of things and for things that we might not expect. So I'll give you a few examples. So you might meet a, a potential business partner, right? And you will go to your AI and say, is this partner trustworthy? And it will start to look at all the data that it has and, and give you a trust rating. So, oh, I could trust this business partner. Oh, I should avoid that business partner. Uh, you may ask, like you go on a date, right? Instead of going on a date and having all these bad dates that are no good, in the future, you will ask an AI. Find me the perfect match. You know me better than anybody. You know what I like, find me the perfect match. This, uh, And this might seem strange to you now, but Facebook ran a test. Facebook did an experiment. And they literally asked people what videos they would watch, what articles they would read in their Facebook feed. So, and people would say, oh, I would read that article, I wouldn't read that. I would watch this video, I wouldn't watch that. Then they asked their AI, what videos would they watch? What articles would they read? Guess what? You know the answer. The AI was right. The people were wrong a lot of the time. They were like, oh, I would read that article on climate change, uh, but I wouldn't watch that cat video. I'm not going to watch that. That's a waste of my time. But in reality, they watched the cat video and the AI knew it because the AI looked at what they actually did, not what they wanted to do or what they said they would do. So the AI will start to know what we actually do, who we actually are better than us, and will be able to plan and predict and help us. And the reason AI is unstoppable is because it's so useful, right? It might invade our privacy. We have already sacrificed a huge amount of privacy using these phones, as everybody knows, right? So uh, we kind of live in a post-privacy era. Um, the next thing is not just privacy, but our autonomy, our decision-making. How, the question we have to ask as a, as a society is how much decision, of our decision-making do we want to delegate to artificial intelligence? How much? How much is, you know, when should we draw the line? So with every one of these technologies I post here, in my book I actually go into depth uh, trying to analyze what are the repercussions for society, where where should we be concerned, and what are things we can do now to make sure these technologies are used responsibly. Five, we're on the last one. This is the fun one, intelligence explosion. So this happens when we start to create AI uh, that is of human intelligence or greater. And this will happen. Um, So uh, we're getting smarter and smarter, we can see with ChatGPT, at emulating humans. You know, there was an engineer at Google who thought that Google's AI was sentient, was conscious. He was wrong. (laughs) It is not conscious, I just want to tell you. But he believed it because it's very good at imitating how we talk. AI can imitate AI. ChatGTP may seem really smart to you, but it's also extremely dumb, right? ChatGTP doesn't know who you are. It doesn't even know what it's saying. It's just spew, it's a machine. It's just spewing out stuff. But we're gonna get these machines that spew out stuff in a more realistic and realistic manner so that it will be hard for us To distinguish if the machine is conscious or not, uh, because it feels just like it's a person. And if you put one of those into uh, a robot that looks like a person, and this is Hiroshi Ishiguro, he has a lab in Japan and he creates these lifelike robots. You can probably tell which is the real one, which is the real Hiroshi, right? (laughs) But in the future, you won't. Like these robots are gonna get better and better and better, and literally, Maybe if you touched it, you might know, but across a room or just talking to it, you probably wouldn't know. And, and they're also, with AI, going to sound and act and express emotions that we interpret as humans. So the question is, what happens then? Um, will we have robot companions? Like Because they look and feel so much like humans. And the answer is invariably, at some point, yes. We will be living and working with robots. How far will we go with these robots. Um, you know, would you, you have a robot boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife? Who would have one? Nobody says it? Nobody? Well, you guys are lying. <laughs> because they've done studies. They've done studies. And 2 thirds of men said they would have a robot female companion. 2 thirds when they're honest. And one third of women. <laughs> Women are less likely to do it. Um, But um, whatever your your personal choice, uh, this is both a strange and fascinating development that will probably happen, right? Unless it's outlawed by our government. Um, It will probably happen. These robots will be in our lives. And it's a little scary. Because first of all, a robot would actually be the perfect companion. They would never complain. They would do the dishes. They would do all the chores. They would be everything you want, the perfect house companion in every way you wanted. Um, What husband or wife could compare to that, right? (laughs) They're never gonna argue with you. You're not gonna get in fights. It's gonna be very hard for human beings to compete with these robot companions. And if they look and feel just like humans, yet the ideal human, you know, it's hard for people to resist. Um, So we run into a moral dilemma of what, ha- you know, we're already being isolated, right? We're isolated on our phones. We spend a lot of times more time on our phone than with real people, uh, more time with online experiences than in the real world. Will we even become more living in these bubbles surrounded by our technology that we've created? These are questions we need to ask now because the technology is coming. Uh, and now you get into the area of the bazaar. So at University of Reading in the UK, they actually uh, have taken a living brain, and this brain was grown from stem cells. So stem cells, you know, can, be, can turn into any type of cell. They can now grow brains in the laboratory, literally grow brains. They can grow brain, you know, they've grown brains the size of a rat's brain. They could potentially grow a brain the size of a human brain. They took this small brain, they put it in a robot, and they hooked it up to all the sensors. And the brain could actually navigate its way around a room. Isn't that crazy? So we have the potential in the future to literally grow bigger and bigger brains, stick them in robots. You know, our brains aren't that uh, special. Literally, we're just getting data from our eyes, data from our ears, data from things we touch, You know, data for all around us. And our brains are pattern matching and, and figuring things out. If you put a brain native stem cells in a robot, it could potentially become conscious. And they've actually done studies, the larger they grow these brains in the laboratory, the more human-like their brain waves. So, so it, 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 it is completely possible that we could grow a brain, figure out how to keep it alive, put it in a robot, attach it to sensors, and suddenly it can become a new form of life that we created. Horrifying. and. Absolutely fascinating, you know? How big could we make these brains? What type of sensors could we attach to it? What would it become? Um, uh, Then there's evolutionary AI and robotics. And this is a whole nother area. So we are literally creating robots now that can, these robots can uh, learn and evolve. So think about human beings, how we've evolved, like we have legs and arms and stuff. Well, robot could evolve much faster. So if you have a robot with AI inside, it can actually go in, we can let it loose in the world. It can start to explore and learn how things work. It, we can give it goals and it can figure out the best way to accomplish them. And then it can actually go back and change its parts and design new parts for itself to better accomplish the tasks that it's, it's, it's directed to accomplish. So we can, at a certain point, robots will be building themselves evolving on their own in a world, and the, more, the beautiful thing about robots, and the scary thing, and AI, is that as soon as it learns how to do something better, every other robot in the world could share that knowledge instantly, right? You just upload it to the cloud, and all the other robots could download it and change their behavior and change their parts. Human beings can't do that. How it takes us to learn something what, we're in, we go through grade school, high school, you know, college, maybe get a PhD, and then we get on the job and we're still learning. Decades for humans to learn. Robots can get all the knowledge of the world, literally hand it to them in seconds. What type of world will that be, right? How fast can these robots start to evolve? Can AI evolve when that knowledge can be transferred so quickly and data gathered from, we're already gathering data on the internet with ChatGTP, We have robots and IOT in the world gathering physical data that is merging to create our next society. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you wanna access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources Just come to founderspace.com.